just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope all is going well with you. Hopefully weather conditions where you're at are a little better than where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about weather to start things off with the Rational Boomer Podcast. That's a little out of character, but it's making the news and uh, there is a little political bend to it, as you'll find out when I get to that point. Now, of course, we heard about all the tragedy, devastation and destruction in Kentucky because of those unseasonable tornadoes. You don't fucking see tornadoes in December. They just don't happen. Now, Minnesota, you do see a fair amount of tornadoes. In fact, uh, if you've never been in a tornado, it's an amazing thing to watch. I remember, this was years and years and years ago, I was in a house in South Minneapolis And a tornado was coming through. It came from one lake and went to St. Paul or something. But I sat in a house watching as the tornado tore through the area I was in. I'm not sure if I was on the outer portion of the tornado because it was destructive, but it wasn't devastating. But I remember standing by a door, watching out the window as this tornado went by. Now, I'm young. I'm indestructible. I wasn't really worried, per se, I'd heard about tornadoes, but I'd never been in one. Living in Minneapolis, there were a lot of tornadoes that came through, but not during December. It was normally during the summer months. Anyway, I'm standing in this living room. Some friends of mine are with me. I'm looking out this door, and I'm seeing the wind blowing at speeds I've never seen before. It was absolutely incredible. Trees were literally bending over. I mean, bending over at a 90-degree angle, big trees. Some were breaking. Some were falling over. At one point, something flew at the window, and the door I was standing near broke the glass. Now, that will scare the shit out of you. That will scare the shit out of you. Fortunately, I was in my early 20s, and again, I thought I was indestructible. So I stood there and watched this, and it was an ominous event. I'd never seen anything like that. And I'd never seen anything like it since. I'd often seen the aftermath of tornadoes. Because in the Twin Cities, there's always tornadoes happening at one time or another. Back in 1965, there was one in a suburb called Fridley that just devastated the area. Absolutely devastated the area. I was only five years old, but we drove by it to take a look at it. And I was awestruck, even as a small child. And then years later, I'm living in a suburb, northwest suburb of uh, Minneapolis. And we're getting a lot of the sirens and all that sort of stuff. It was in the summer, so it was a perfect time for a tornado. We'd been hearing about the possibilities of tornadoes. We lost power, which was problematic because we all had sump pumps and now our our houses were going to fill up with water. So we had to get uh, all kinds of um, um, 
electrical generators to keep those going, not even worrying about the lights. But we're all standing outside watching this and hearing this, what's going on. And at one point, I decide to run to the store. I mean, it's quiet where I'm at. It's very quiet, but it's very ominous as far as the green sky and all this stuff. And as I go down the street, probably three blocks, getting ready to go to the store, all of a sudden, I open my eyes and I see this mass destruction of relatively new houses destroyed in front of me. All kinds of emergency vehicles there. In fact, the tornado came through my town within three blocks away, and I didn't even know it hit. We got winds, and we got rain, and we got all that stuff, but we got nothing. Three blocks away, it was devastation. In fact, one house was completely destroyed, and a young girl, young neighbor girl, was killed in that uh, house that collapsed. This whole thing with tornadoes, if you've never experienced them, they are devastating. They are absolutely devastating. Um, if you live on the coast, of course, you're used to hurricanes, and they're similar, uh, but but different. And now here I am sitting in a suburb of Minneapolis, and I'm seeing the weather reports. Now, this is after we've seen what happened down in Kentucky and Ohio and Arkansas and all of that. That was truly unbelievable. But now we're seeing another storm come through our area and further south. And uh, one weather person I listened to said it's interesting because it's like a conglomeration of storms. A winter storm because there's snow, snow coming with it. A summer storm because there are tornadoes. And a spring storm because where it's warm enough, it would be rain. I mean, as I'm sitting right here, right now in Minnesota, the temperature is like 45 degrees. It's going to drop to 22 later in the morning. But right now, it's above zero. So what we would get would be rain, ultimately some snow. And uh, we don't know really how it's all going to affect things. I've already heard about some uh, tornado warnings or watches or actually tornadoes down in the southern part of the state of Minnesota. As I said, a lot of this is really happening way far south of us. We're on the top edge of this storm, as far as I can tell. And we'll get hit with some things, but I don't think nearly as badly as some of the people down south. There are reports of winds as strong as 100 miles an hour in Kansas, maybe even up into Iowa. Some reports of 80-mile-an-hour winds. That's fucking crazy. That's hurricane-level winds. These are straight-line winds. Or there are tornadoes as well. This is a weird occurrence in uh, my part of the country. It was a weird occurrence in Kentucky and Ohio and Arkansas and that sort of thing. The devastation in Kentucky was absolutely awesome, and I don't mean that in a positive sense. I mean, there were whole towns wiped out. There were tons and tons of people that were injured, some people missing. There were many, many people that died. I think in Kentucky alone, 65, 70 people were confirmed dead. I think in some of the other states, there were some more. 
The talk I heard, it was around 100 total dead of a tornado or tornadoes in December. That is truly fucking amazing. I don't know how that happens. The only real explanation for it would have to be climate change. I mean, this is unprecedented to have tornadoes down in the central part of the country or even up here in Minnesota. Tornadoes are commonplace in the summer, maybe the fall, but not in the middle of the winter, nor is 50-degree temperatures on December 15th. That just doesn't happen. The interesting thing about what happened down in Kentucky, though, and this is where we get to the political part of it. Now, after the devastation, the death, the tragedy, the destruction, our president, Joe Biden, gets on Air Force One, flies down to Kentucky. He's going down there to talk to the people that were affected by these storms and these tornadoes. He's down there to take a look and survey the destruction. He's there to console the people. He's there to make the people feel better, more comfortable. He's there to commit to take care of them after this horrible disaster. And that's exactly what he did. He said, look, the federal government will take, 100, uh, take responsibility for 100% of all the damage and all that happened in your state. Joe Biden's coming down, offering to pay 100% to make these people whole again. Of course, he can't bring back the dead, but he can try to repair what has happened here. People have lost their homes. People have lost... Um, electricity. And my greatest concern is that given the storm we're seeing now that uh, we're in the midst of as I speak, as it goes further south, it seems to be worse and that we may see this all over again. I mean, we've had these kind of devastating periods of time when multiple hurricanes hit our coastlines, but we've never seen it with tornadoes. And we've got another system going through the country, picking up speed, and once it gets through the Midwest, it'll go up to the Northeast, and God knows what it will do. But here's the interesting thing I saw when it came to the destruction in Kentucky. Like I said, Donald uh, Donald Trump would have gone and thrown, I don't know, paper towels and done nothing at all like he did in Puerto Rico. But Joe Biden was different. He got in a plane. He flew down there. He promised to take care of them, and that had to make these people feel better. But while Joe Biden was down there, what's interesting is that Kentucky has two U.S. senators. You know them, Rand Paul and Mitch McConnell. Now, funny thing is, Rand Paul and Mitch McConnell didn't make it to Kentucky. Apparently, they're too busy. Apparently, they have too much to do to go take care of these traumatized, terrorized, stressed out, and devastated constituents. You would think, at the very least, a U.S. senator would go back to the state that's been so uh, horribly damaged and so many people have died to at least make an appearance and Give these people some encouragement that we're here and we're going to take care of you. But that's not the case with Rand Paul or Mitch McConnell. That is fucking appalling. That's absolutely appalling. Now, what Rand Paul did do 
was he kept um, begging Joe Biden to send money so people could could repair their homes and try to get back to some kind of norm, normality with their life. He did beg him about that, which is ironic because Joe Biden would have done it anyway. He didn't need to hear from Rand Paul. Uh, Joe Biden said, look, this isn't about red or blue states. This has no bearing on this circumstance. This is a tragedy in America, and I'm a president for all Americans, regardless of what their party is. So he did what he had to do. He did what a good president would do. But still, Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul refused to go down there, refused to do anything except beg for money. Now, the funny thing about Rand Paul, we've talked about this before. Rand Paul is begging for money for uh, Kentucky, which is what he should be doing if he's doing anything at all. But Rand Paul is the same person who who voted against giving help to Americans on the East Coast who suffered through a hurricane or people on the Gulf Coast who suffered through multiple hurricanes. Each and every time it came to Congress to give them money to take care of a natural disaster and the suffering of people, Rand Paul voted no. He said, our debt is too high. That's too much money. That's a state problem. We don't want to give them any money. But the moment his state gets hit, oh, geez, we need the money. We need the money. If this is not the epitome of a fucking hypocrite, I don't know what is. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about this. We need people that are representing us, that are working for us. Rand Paul has shown no sign of having any interest in working for his constituents. He's against the Build Back Better bill, and there are a lot of people in Kentucky that could use that help. But he says no. And he doesn't say no because he thinks it's the right thing. He says no because he wants to own the Democrats. He doesn't want the Democrats to succeed. It's his own personal benefit that he's concerned about. Now, what you need to know is that Rand Paul is up for re-election in 2022. He's in the House of Representatives, and that's the interesting thing about the House of Representatives. When you're elected to the House, you only get a two-year term. I've argued with people about this. People think it's longer. They think it's six years. No, that's the Senate. The Senate is a six-year term, but in the House, it's two years, which is something I always thought was a waste. These people work their butts off to get elected, and once they get elected, six, eight months in, they have to start their campaign for the next year again. When do these people have time to do any fucking work for the people? Well, apparently they don't because they rarely do. They rarely do much good for the people. So Rand Paul is up for election. Rand Paul is uh, wants to be reelected to the House of Representatives. Okay, cool. But when you go to the voting booth and you're in Kentucky and maybe you're a Republican 
You need to sit back and remember, what did Rand Paul, or Mitch McConnell for that matter, do for you when you were in your darkest hour of need? You begged for money, but Joe Biden was going to give you the money anyway, because that's who Joe Biden is. These two clowns did absolutely nothing for you. They're only good for taking from you, taking your votes, taking your tax money, taking whatever. But they never, ever give back. And this is ultimately the problem in our government. This is the thing I talked about in the podcast and I'll talk about again today. We have a broken system in our government, in Congress, in the Senate. These people are all trying to work so hard to enrich themselves or benefit themselves, they don't have time or the interest in helping you or me, or anybody in the middle class. And that can be proven by where are we now with the Build Back Better bill. I'll talk about that more after after the break here. But when your state is devastated and 100 people die, towns are wiped out, and you still can't make enough time to go make an appearance and at least act like you're going to help. That is appalling. Now I'm picking on Rand Paul here and Mitch McConnell, but we have a lot of those in Congress. A lot of people that are just only concerned about benefiting themselves. And the reason they do that is because they've been allowed to do that all along. This is why they vote for things that you don't necessarily need or or don't care about or don't vote for things you do need. Because they have another master they're working for. We should be their master. We should be their boss or their supervisor, but we're not. According to the Constitution, according to their description of their jobs, they should be working for us. But they really don't work for us. They work for the big money people, the uh, military-industrial complex. We got to make sure they get their money and they keep maintaining these billion dollar companies because they in turn will help us get votes, donate to our campaigns. And this is particularly egregious in the House of Representatives. As I said, they've got to run for reelection every two years. So they're always out there grifting money. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't like the Republicans. The Republicans need to be soundly beaten. We need them out of the system because right now they're not only bad people, they are dangerous people to our democracy. So they need to be beaten in 2022. But the Democrats, there are many Democrats that aren't much better. Joe Manchin comes to mind. Christian Cinema. There are even some people in Congress, in the Senate, that are Democrats that are bad that you don't know that much about. They haven't made much news, but they are still behaving like some of these other idiots that are taking their money and telling you to fuck off. It's a government-wide problem. The way I see it, the way we are, we need to get people in there that understand that they work for us, and that they do our bidding. But that's going to take some time. That's going to take every election. Throwing out those people who don't give a shit, like Rand Paul or Mitch McConnell, 
or Paul Gosar or Lauren Boebert or Marjorie Taylor Greene. They got to go. They don't understand their job. They aren't working for the right master. They are only working for themselves or those people that will give them money. We've got a broken system in this country, and it has to be changed dramatically. Unfortunately, we can't do that overnight. The only way we can do that is through elections. And the only way we can do that through elections is if every one of you do your part. Pay attention. Really watch what your representatives do. Look into it. Do some research. Do whatever you have to do. Listen to me. Listen to the news. Listen to the things they say. Don't just say, well, I'm a Republican, so I'm going to vote Republican. If you're a Republican in Kentucky, are you going to vote for Rand Paul? With all the ridiculousness in his whole career, the outrageous things he says, the racist things he says, the fact that he doesn't care when your people die and towns get devastated. He doesn't care. Now, you may be a Republican, and Rand Paul is allegedly a Republican, but I don't honestly believe there is a real Republican Party anymore because it's all Donald Trump. But is it in your best interest to vote for Rand Paul just because he so happens to have an R after his name and you happen to be a Republican? We're at a point in this government and the stage in this country where the party shouldn't matter. You should always vote your interest. And if a Democrat happens to bring that to you, vote fucking Democrat. That's why I don't align myself with any Democratic or Republican Party candidate. I'm looking for somebody smart. I'm looking for somebody bold. I'm looking for somebody who's willing to do what they're supposed to do to help us, the middle class. And if I get fooled, if I get fooled and elect them, and they don't do what they say, well, then they're gone. People out here always talk about accountability for crimes and corruption and that sort of thing. Well, we can insist and demand and create accountability for our representatives by the way we vote. Don't vote just because that's the way dad and grandpa and great-grandpa voted. Vote for your best interest and have enough motivation to look into what these people do so you can understand whether they are, in fact, looking out for your best interest. And then when you do elect them, keep watching them because if they don't do what they say they're going to do, they just lied to you, well, then you got to kick them out. You want accountability? That's how you get it. These people have to know if they don't do the job they're hired for, they're fucking gone. You'll see them change their attitude and change their practices pretty quickly. So consider that. There's a lot that needs to be fixed, and a lot of it can be fixed by us. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. 
Well, right about now, we've got a lot of scared Republicans. I mean, they are shitting bricks. <laughs> excuse my French. No, fuck that. Don't excuse my French. That's just the way I talk. Now, the Republicans are scared to death now. And you know who they're most afraid of? You know who's the one person they fear the most? Somebody in their very own party. Liz Cheney. Now, Liz Cheney is an ultra-conservative. I would never vote for Liz Cheney for anything under normal circumstances. But you got to give her the fact that she's being honest, showing integrity, and fighting against her own party because of what she believes is right. As much as I don't believe in her policies, I can appreciate finally one politician actually standing up for what's right and showing some integrity, because that's few and far between these days in politics on both sides of the aisle. Well, of course, Liz Cheney is talking about all these texts between people in Congress, the White House, organizers of the uh, insurrection. And they aren't liking this. They're nervous about it. I'll remind you, do you remember back shortly after the insurrection, the House of Representatives had FBI Director Ray testifying in front of them. They were asking them a lot of hard questions. And, of course, all the Republicans, they're tough guys. They didn't like uh, FBI Director Ray, which is weird because Donald Trump appointed him to that fucking position. But, unfortunately, Ray brought up some things that Donald Trump didn't like, that the Republicans didn't like, and uh, now they're mad at him. And here he is, still as FBI director with Joe Biden in office. Now, you have to understand with FBI directors, traditionally they have a 10-year term. So it can carry over into another presidency. That's not to say that uh, Joe Biden couldn't kick him out, but... He's done a fair enough job. I don't think he's the best, but he's done a fair enough job, and he's still there. But as we know, Mark Meadows ended up uh, turning over some 9,000 documents, and in these documents we have these texts, as I pointed out. And I can't for the life of me understand why Mark Meadows turned these things over especially if he was planning to not testify. Now, at the time he turned it over, he said he would testify. But then he had all kinds of problems with Donald Trump, probably got on the phone with Donald Trump, and, said, and Donald Trump said, you're not testifying. And, of course, Mark Meadows, being a strong, authoritative man, said, yes, sir, Mr. Trump, I won't, I won't testify. I wonder if he told Trump that he turned over 9,000 documents, though. Yeah, well, when we found that out, now we're finding out some of the things that are in those documents. We're finding out that members of Congress are interacting with the president and organizers of the insurrection. Now, right after the insurrection, Ray was being or testifying in front of the U.S. House of Representatives. Now, you might remember when that was going on, it was kind of interesting. We had some thought that there might have been some inter interaction 
uh, between members of Congress, Trump, and the organizers of the insurrection. We might have thought that. And if you remember, Josh Hawley stepped up and was asking Ray a question, and he said, so, uh, yeah, uh, did you get information from cell phones, from the cell phone tower, metadata, geo-tracking? Did you get that? What did you get? And, of course, Ray didn't ask answer that because, well, there was an investigation going on. Mike Lee, another Republican representative, said, uh, you got to understand why we'd be concerned about this. <laughs> yeah, we understand tough shit. We understand why you're concerned. And Jim Jordan was all over it, too. Jim Jordan was saying, so what did you find? Is it fair that you do this? What What's going on? And, of course, Ray's not going to tell him. Now, the thing about it is, is that Liz Cheney and Benny Thompson, the chairman of the House Select Committee, are mentioning all these people in Congress that were texting back and forth with these fucking clowns. But they're not naming names. They're not naming names. And people ask me all the time, why aren't they naming names? Oh, they'll name names eventually. They're trying to turn up the heat a little bit on these trump in Congress. Make them nervous. See what they'll do. And to be perfectly honest with you, the with the temperament of these folks, they're probably going to do or say something crazy, which will just make it worse for them, just like old Donnie Trump used to do. Those names will come out. Well, it's interesting. One text was sent out, and the text read this. On January 6th, VP Mike Pence, as president of the Senate, should call out all electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional, as no electoral votes at all. They didn't name who it was. But apparently Jim Jordan's getting a little nervous because he admitted that he sent that text. Well, if you read that text, that is highly illegal. Highly illegal. Jim Jordan could be indicted for that very text. Now, the reason why Jim Jordan mentioned that it was him was he was trying to cut down the surprise or the edge of when this came out and who sent it. But it's not going to go very well. You see, Jim Jordan didn't say, yeah, I said that, but I didn't mean it. What he said was, yeah, I texted that. And then he doubled down. And when he doubled down, what he did, he says, yeah, but you didn't send the whole context of the text. And that was true. They only, play, they only put out a portion of the text, the portion that was relevant to what they were talking about. There was more to the text, and <laughs> it had Jim Jordan uh, quoting Alexander Hamilton and all these different constitutional things. Well, here's the thing. That was just a bunch of gobbledygook that didn't mean anything from anything. Jim Jordan knows that. Anybody that heard it knows it. The quote from Alexander Hamilton came before the United States was even in a country. It wasn't an official country yet. And the fact of the matter is none of these things proved anything that made his text right. It, in fact, made it worse. 
So it's conceivable that what Jim Jordan did in this situation could be referred to the DOJ, and he could be charged with something more serious than contempt of Congress. And you can kind of expect that to happen, ultimately. Like I say, Benny Thompson isn't talking about who these congressional members are that are doing all these outrageous texts, these sedition-like tasks. He knows they're guilty, and he knows when to expose them. And he's waiting to see how they react. He's waiting to get everything in line to finally expose them. Because then the shit's going to fly. Here's the thing. Most Republicans would love to say, oh, that's fake news. That didn't happen. That's hearsay. But they can't do it this time. Because this is by their own hand, on their own texting, from their very own fucking phones. And on top of it, here's what's interesting. It seems Mark Meadows was using his own cell phone and using Gmail to interact with government business. Well, we know that's highly illegal because they screamed and yelled about Hillary Clinton allegedly doing this. They were upset about people doing this. Well, now here they are. They do the same fucking thing. That's absolutely fucking amazing. The Republicans are scared shitless right now, and if you see them in Congress speaking, you can see they're a little more tentative. They're a little more quiet. Well, except for Marjorie Taylor Greene. Marjorie Taylor Greene stepped up to the podium yesterday, was ranting and raving how this whole thing about getting their texts and their documents was unfair, was un-American. We can't believe the Democrats have stooped to this. It's completely political. They're just trying to get Donald Trump. You can't do this. So then Marjorie Taylor Greene, being a sharp gal, decides she's going to throw out the kill shot, the go-to for all Republicans. What about ism? And what she says is, Well, the people on the commission for January 6th should release their text and their documents, too. (laughs) That's hilarious, Marjorie. You mean to tell me when the FBI got all the text and, 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 and such from the Capitol on January 6th, you really think they only picked out the Republicans? That's fucking crazy. You know as well as we know that they got every cell phone, they got every text, they got everything that happened at that point. So they do have the Democrats text as well. But here's the problem, Marjorie. The fact of the matter is, is that the Democrats didn't text out seditionist shit. They were scared to death they were being attacked in the U.S. Capitol. They didn't send out texts saying, hey, the, uh, the, 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 the Speaker of the House is over there. Or they didn't text out 1776 as a battle charge. You did that, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Lauren Boebert did it. Paul Gosar did it. Jim Jordan did it. And now the texts are coming to light. You were nervous about it when you first heard the FBI was grabbing the uh, cell phone information, the metadata. You were nervous about it, but then you got cocky afterward when nothing happened. 
Well, now it's coming to light. Now it's coming to the public's ears. And now you have a fucking big problem. Because you see, everything that's been said in these texts, like when the organizer from the insurrectionists texted Mark Meadows and said, hey, it's getting crazy out here. We need some direction. That all but proves the White House, Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, whoever else, was behind this all. They needed direction, and who did they go to? They didn't go to Roger Stone. They didn't go to anybody else. They went to the fucking White House. Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, and whoever else. That's who they needed help from. Because that's who has been giving them help all along. They raised millions of dollars to get these people up there. They put them in front of the ellipse and they ranted and raved and they incited these people and made them mad and told them that they are going to lose their country. And they sent them up to the Capitol. Donald Trump wanted exactly wanted to have happen exactly what happened. He knew he was in a tough spot. The only thing he could do to win or stay in office was violence. That's what he wanted. That's what he got. He sat there on his couch. He enjoyed every minute of it. For three hours, people begged him for help, and he refused to get it. Do you understand what this means now? This is showing us that the White House, the President of the United States, was behind an insurrection on our own country, his own country. You know what that means? Serious fucking crimes. They can prove that now. And they prove it by the Republicans' own words, their own texts. They can't deny it. So the Republicans are fucked right now. So, as I say, they're afraid of Liz Cheney because Liz Cheney is talking straight. But Liz Cheney may be the smartest one of this whole group, along with Adam Kinzinger, but he's not running for re-election, so he's kind of out of the mix. Now, Liz Cheney is standing alone. But when all is exposed about these Republicans, these treasonist Congress people, it's going to have devastating effects on the Republican Party. But guess who's standing alone? Liz Cheney. The people that are normal in the Republican Party will want to somehow rebuild it. And who's going to be their leader? Liz fucking Cheney. That's who it is. And Liz is a badass. You don't fuck with Liz. She was raised by her dad, Dick Cheney. That fucker was saint. So I wouldn't screw with Liz Cheney. It's going to be very interesting. Now, as we get toward the end of this podcast, I wanted to talk about something else. And this is frustrating to me. I think it's frustrating to a lot of people. We've been hearing a lot about uh, the Build Back Better bill and how that needs to get passed sometime before Christmas, maybe before the end of the year. And that's a lot to ask. Joe Biden's been pushing very hard. I've seen commercials on TV all over the fucking place. Biden's been talking with Manchin over and over again. And apparently they've come to a standstill as far as agreeing on this. Now, this is a real problem for Joe Biden. You remember what happened. The progressives said, we aren't going to vote for the bipartisan infrastructure bill unless we have a guarantee that the Build Back Better bill will pass. Joe Biden told them, you have my word. We will get it passed. 
we will get it done. So the progressives voted for, against their better judgment, voted for the bill or the bipartisan infrastructure bill. But now here we are. The Build Back Better bill is still not passed. And it seems like they're having some problems between Biden and Manchin. Now, this shit can change in an instant, so don't get too excited. But if Joe Biden goes through this thing and it doesn't pass, pass till next year or whenever, here's the problem. All these progressives trusted Joe Biden. The American public trusted Joe Biden that he could get this thing done. Joe Biden needed the infrastructure bill passed because it made him look good. It helped the country. But he made that promise. And if he doesn't come through on that promise, you've got a bunch of progressives that aren't going to be willing to work with him next time. You're going to have a bunch of Americans pissed off. But what do you do? You vote Republican then? That's stupid too. Joe Biden's just giving everybody no choice here. Joe Biden's got to get on that Build Back Better bill. He needs to pass it. I do still think it will pass, but it's been a lot of dicking around, and people who have been made promises by Joe Biden are starting to look a little sideways, I'll guarantee you. Now, Joe Biden said something to, uh, yesterday that I thought was interesting. He's right, but I thought it was interesting. He'd been talking about this Build Back Better bill. Then he came out and said today, yesterday actually, um, the most important thing in domestic policy in this country is the voting rights bill. And he's absolutely right. But it seems like he's trying to take the attention off the Build Back Better bill and focus on the voting rights bill. But here's the problem with the voting rights bill. No Republicans willing to vote for it. Joe Manchin and Cinema aren't willing to carve out the filibuster in order to get it passed. Now, both of them say they're for the voting rights bill, but they don't want to carve out the filibuster because, as we talked about yesterday, that's too dangerous for this country, even though they just did it to pass the debt ceiling raising. Now, this kind of pressure is coming down on Manchin, on Biden, and everybody else. Because remember, Biden wasn't too big on getting rid of the filibuster either. We've sat around and dicked around with that filibuster for a long time, and it's done nothing but hurt Americans, hurt this country. But still, Manchin, Cinema, even Joe Biden to a certain extent, didn't want the filibuster touched. Once again, Joe Manchin is standing in the way of getting the voting rights bill passed, maybe cinema. And you have to take a look at cinema and Manchin and realize when it comes to bringing money back to the middle class, something that's not been done for 80 years, Manchin and cinema are against it. When it comes to protecting our democracy and getting voting rights bill and trying to handle all these voter suppression laws all around the country, they aren't for it. Well, what the fuck is Manchin and Cinema for? If you don't want to protect democracy and you don't want to help the middle class, what the fuck are you worth? Now, the Republicans love bitching about cancel culture, but I got to tell you, right now, the cancel culture should be looking hard at Manchin and Cinema. They're two people from two states standing in the way to better this country, better the family, 
the working class, and to save democracy, yet they stand in the way and don't want help. If there was ever a time cancel culture should come up, now is the time. They need to be pounded. Now, one of the things that's not going to continue if that Build Back Better bill isn't passed is the child care credit. Now, this child care credit took 50% of children out of poverty. It did a lot of good, but without that Build Back Better bill, you're going to lose it this month. So we got all this way, got 50% of the kids out of poverty, and now we're going to say, yeah, we don't need to do it anymore. Well, we're fucking tired of hearing that, all right? We're tired of hearing politicians say, oh, I can't do that, or that's too hard, or I don't want to change this. I can't help you now, but God, I'll help you in the future, but that future never comes. We've got some serious problems in this country, and it's not all Republicans, because we got two Democrats not willing to try to save our democracy not willing to get money back to the middle class that they've been waiting for 80 years. Joe Manchin and Christian Cinema are the bane of this country right now. And they should be treated as such. I heard of somebody walking up to uh, Joe Manchin and saying, uh, why can't you do the Build Back Better bill? If you don't do that, all these Child care credits are going to go away. These kids will be put back in poverty. You know what Joe Biden did? He lost his shit. He got angry and he stomped away. Of course he did. These people don't want to be known for getting rid of the child care credit and getting more kids back into poverty. They don't want to be aligned with that. But they still don't want to pass the bill. They need to be exposed for who they are and what they're for and what they're against and let the public perception be the final judge. And that's what they like to call cancel culture. My attitude about cancel culture is this. Cancel culture is just part of society. It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Well, maybe it's a good thing. But cancel culture ultimately comes down to if you do something bad, if you do something fucked up, and the entire nation finds out about it, knows about it, then you're pretty much canceled. Everybody hates you. You're done in whatever you do. Is that a bad thing? I mean, what are these people against cancel culture worried about? Well, yeah, I did some bad shit, but it's It's not right that everybody knows about it. Too bad we live in an information age. Joe Manchin can say something two minutes from now, and I'll have it on my my computer screen 30 30 seconds later. Too bad. You live in this world. You have to deal with the society as it stands now. And these people, Cinema and Manchin, are working against our society, our way of government, our democracy. And those people need to pay the price, if for no place else, in the court of public opinion. Who is for these people? I don't know. They shouldn't be here because they're working against us instead of for us. It's very frustrating. I don't know what's going to happen with the voting rights bill. Don't get me wrong. That needs to be passed 
ASAP, and that should be an easy one. There's no debate on it. It doesn't cost any money. All it takes is 50 votes as long as you carve out the filibuster. And in order to do that, we need Manchin and Cinema on board. That's all we need. That fucking thing should be passed tomorrow. But it won't be because they got to dick around. They've got to show their power. They've got to make these whiny complaints. How in the world can you be against voting right, for Christ's sake? How can you be in Congress and be against voting rights? And then the Build Back Better thing, they should pass the voting rights thing tomorrow, and then a week from now, get that Build Back Better bill passed. Because, see, here's the thing. Over and above what good it does for this country and our government— We've got two Democrats, and without those two things passing, that puts the Democrats in jeopardy in 2022. Do you really want to be responsible for losing the majority in the House and the Senate just because you want to dick around with voting rights and the Build Back Better bill? You're fucking Democrats. I don't care if you're conservative Democrats. You're still Democrats. Don't you want what's best for the party? Especially now, the Republicans are fucking lost. They're gone. They don't exist anymore. This is the time to take advantage. This is the time to get things done. And these two people are refusing to let it happen. You can hate cancel culture, but in my book, these fuckers need to be canceled. Because they are working against this country, this government, and each one of us. All right, we're going to wrap things up for yet another Rational Boomer podcast. Be sure to make questions, comments, send them to rationalboomer at gmail.com or go to um, anchor.fm, find Rational Boomer, and then uh, leave a voicemail message. Love to hear from you. All right, you have a good night. Have a safe night. And uh, we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time. Next time.